Welcome to the Grant Writing and Funding Podcast, where it's all about, you guessed it, grant writing and funding made easy so you can increase capacity, grow funding, and advance your nonprofit or freelance mission. Now, let's hand it over to your host, grants expert and author Holly Rustic, so you can increase your funding and drive impact. Hey, Changemakers, Holly Rustic here, founder of Grant Writing and Funding, and I am here to help you grow capacity, increase funding, and advance your mission. This is for your nonprofit or for your grant writing freelance company. All right, guys, so we are moving into Articles of Incorporation today. I'm super duper excited because, yes, that might sound very dry and boring, but this is a very important and integral part of creating a nonprofit. And as we are going through the entire kind of course and outline of how to create a and 501c3 nonprofit, and we've been talking about uh, last week we looked at your values and how to create a mission statement and vision statement for your nonprofit. We also looked at what type of nonprofit to create, um, and we looked at how to select and create really the best board of directors and select them, you know, or your board of directors, right? Different members, um, what matrix you need to look at, all of that kind of fun stuff. So as we're building up towards submitting all your paperwork for your 501c3, the article of incorporation are one of the primary things that you need to submit. All right. And if you're a nonprofit that's already, you know, you already are in existence, you've been around for a few years, you still need to look at your articles of incorporation every now and again, and to really, you know, evaluate and see if anything needs to be changed. Um, or just what your framework is all about. Maybe you aren't even sure and you've never looked at your articles of incorporation, right? You might be a new board member and then all of a sudden you're like, I don't even know exactly how we're governed, how our internals work. So this would be great for you to look at. So I'll kind of outline every single thing in the articles of incorporation um, on a general scope, but so that you can understand what you're reading. All right, guys. So um, before I get there, I wanna um, share a testimonial. I'm super excited you guys. Um, you've been emailing me and I've been just going back and forth with some of you and just like really creating a lot of dialogue and different conversations. So um, this is from Laurel um, and she's been going back and forth with me. She um, is just wonderful. I really love what she's doing out there. She's uh, an author as well and she has some great books. So you might want to check her out. But um, this is what uh, an email she went ahead and sent to me. Um, so I just want to read that and share it with you. Um, Hi, Holly. I just want to let you know that I've jumped into my first grant writing project. I teach at an acupuncture clinic. And last night I met with the owner and her office manager about the possibility of me writing and submitting grant proposals to help their business. They were thrilled. Following the directives in your videos, emails, and Udemy course, I gathered as much info as I could from them. I gave them each assignments to bring to the table next week as we are meeting every Thursday evening. I'm not getting paid to write it. They currently have no extra money, but I'm grateful for this opportunity and I'm being put on their staff list as an outreach and education coordinator. Funds for this position will be written into the grant. Clearly, I still have a tunnel to learn, but this feels really in alignment with my goals and my purpose. I sincerely thank you for all your wisdom and insight. I'll keep you updated on our progress. Warm smiles, Laurel. 
And I just want to say thank you so much, Laurel. Um, this just really made my day. Like as I wrote back to you and I was like, oh, this is so sweet. Um, and I did ask for permission to use her testimonial. Um, but yeah, I just, I really, I, I just think this is great. And Laurel, you know, she was really, um, she's one who really wants to learn how to do grant writing, but doesn't really know how to get there. And one of the things was, okay, um, now that you've taken the course, go out there and try to volunteer at some places and really build up a portfolio. So that's what she's doing right now. And she's able to get a position which really brings her joy. And you know, it really connects and resonates with what she wants to do um, and focus on. So thank you so much again, Laurel. I really appreciate that. And good luck as you continue writing. Let me know if you have any questions on those grants that you write as you continue your journey. All right, guys, so let's go, go ahead and jump back into it. So articles of incorporation. So I also have a downloadable for you all. Um, so if you would like to go to www.grantwritingandfunding.com forward slash 068 dash articles dash of dash incorporation, you will get a free downloadable of a sample articles of incorporation template that you can utilize. So basically what I'm going over today, but you will be able to download that and then tweak it um, to be used, you know, as a template for your articles of incorporation, or if you're working with nonprofits, you can use it with them for them as well. Uh, now, just a disclaimer, I am not an accountant, right? So, and I am not a lawyer, but um, you can definitely use this as a template just to get you started. Okay, so you've identified the need for your cause. You have selected what type of nonprofit you will open. You have selected your board of directors and you have your vision and mission statements identified. And those are all in previous podcasts. <laughs> so now it's go time. You're getting close to formalizing your nonprofit. Developing articles of incorporation is the next step in filing with your state and getting your nonprofit established. Now, every single state is different, all right? And you can visit the show notes to get a link for some different state requirements. And that's on that same www.grantwritingandfunding.com forward slash 068-articles-of-incorporation. So the show notes will be there and you can find some more links. So it's, you know, as cookie cutters, we wanna to try to make this. Every state has their own requirements. So you're still gonna have to find out what specific steps they have, okay? But this will give you so much, like, they're still going to want all of the information that we're going over today. All right, so here we go. This podcast, we're just going to have a, a basic outline of Articles of Incorporation. So why do you need Articles of Incorporation? Well, these are required for starting a tax-exempt nonprofit, for one, right? That's the most important key. But another very important key, as I mentioned, as they will give your nonprofit guidance and how it should operate. As you will most likely have new board members come on from time to time, it is good to have guidance for the structure of your nonprofit. Articles of incorporation also act like a constitution for your nonprofit. They give you governing requirements. I love this. So for you grant writers, you may get asked to help to start nonprofits quite a bit. I get that um, asked a lot, and that's why I'm developing this whole podcast kind of stream and um, a course on it as well, so um, people can easily be able to get these downloadables and instruction to open their nonprofits. So yeah, so now it's good to have a toolkit. So you will have a template to work from. Um, and like I said, if you're already a nonprofit, you can go ahead and look at this and see if there's anything that needs to be maybe, you know, updated on your articles of incorporation. So today we're gonna go over the federal articles of incorporation, the ones that you need when you file your 1023 form. Now is the time to get your computer to type this up or you can get the downloadable um, on the website. All right guys, so, 
basic. It's just super basic. So articles of incorporation of, and then you want to put your nonprofit's name. Super easy. All right. And I'm just going to kind of read this and kind of talk about it as I go through it. So um, some of this you do kind of want to put verbatim and other stuff is going to be tweaked a little bit. And I'll let you know when and how to do that. Just to start off, the undersigned residents of the state name, so you put the state name, do hereby associate together for the purpose of forming a nonprofit corporation under the statuses of the state name. All right, so very, very simple. You can use that verbatim and just switch out the state name. And I have these things highlighted um, where you could switch it out on the template, so it's pretty easy. You want to have different articles of incorporation, so you're going to have articles, right? So article one is usually just the name. So we're going to have article one, name. And then you're going to have 1.01, the name of the corporation shall be, and then you put the name of the nonprofit, a nonprofit corporation. And remember, you first had to make sure that this nonprofit name was available, right? You guys all went to your tax and revenue and said, hey, or to your AG's office, and we're like, is this name even available or is it trademarked, right? The one that you came up to use. So you first want to make sure that you can use that nonprofit name and that it really exemplifies what your nonprofit does. Simple. Article two, purposes. 2.01.1, the name of the corporation, so you would put the name of the corporation there, is a nonprofit corporation and organized exclusively for charitable, educational, and scientific purposes, including for such purposes, the making of distributions to organizations that qualify as exempt organizations under section 501c3 of the Internal Revenue Code or the corresponding section of any future federal tax code. Use this verbatim. All right, guys. So you want to make sure that you have what the name of the corporation, what the purpose is, and have it nice and broad because that is the definition for the IRS uh, under the 501c3. And remember, we're not talking about 501c6s. We're not talking about 501c4s. We're talking about what generally most of you will be out there formulating is a 501c3. So that's what you would use. The second point under purposes, 2.01.2, the purpose of this corporation, and I'm just going to give you a sample, but basically you're going to give like your mission statement um, and flesh it out a little bit. So here's an example, and this is actually a real nonprofit. It's actually my mom's. <laughs> so, woo. And go them. They're having a fundraiser tonight. Woo, woo. So they're really cool. Um, okay, so here's their, their sample. To work with community members um, within the Micronesian region in support of educational programs which promote sustainability of our island's resources, cultures, languages, and traditions as deemed in the community's best interest by the Board of Directors. Specific examples of desired activities include developing documentaries related to sustainability, organizing conferences for dialogue between local and other leading experts, assisting community efforts such as local farming and navigation practices, and advocating for educational practices and resources which are aligned with the needs and experiences of our local communities. Isn't that a cool nonprofit? <laughs> Talaza, hey, shout out for them. They're really awesome. But anyways, yeah, you really want to go ahead and put then what is your mission and, and really bring it together um, so you know what the purpose, you know, list some of your activities, what are some of your goals, put them all in here, but keep them broad. You notice they're not, they're uh, one of their activities um, under Talaza, under this organization, is to develop an island school. But they're not going to put that specifically. They're going to put the things around what they're doing so they're not kind of earmarked into just one little hole. They have a lot of different things that they can do. So you do want to keep that pretty general. 
Okay, under purposes 2.01.3, the corporation shall also have the powers of a corporation as authorized by the laws of the state, provided, however, that this corporation shall not, except to an insubstantial degree, engage in any activities or exercise any powers that are not in the furtherance of its primary purpose. So you can use this language verbatim, but basically what they're saying is they're only going to uh, be engaged in the activities that they said and the purpose that they stated that they are going to do. And once again, that is a reason to keep it pretty general. 2.01.4. The name of the cor corporation is designated as a public charity corporation. And that's really good to keep as a public charity corporation because that is your 501c3 um, status and you can just keep it like this is what we're going after. Article three. So that was all purposes. Now we're moving to article three and this is duration. And I would go ahead and recommend just to keep this very general as well. We're gonna say 3.01, the period of duration of the corporation is perpetual. And what does that mean? That means it's always going to kind of be in existence and you don't have to go in after so many years and redo your articles. All right. So if you just keep it perpetual, then it's a good thing just to keep it ongoing. Okay. Article number four, principal office 4.01. The location of the principal office of the corporation shall be in the city state, right? So you want to put both of those and then you have to put the address. So the address and please provide the resident address and a mailing address. So keep both right? And what do you say, Holly, I don't have um, a physical address. We're all working out of our homes and this is our nonprofit. We're starting up from scratch. Then you can just use the physical address of one of the, I'd probably say the chair uh, or the president of the board of directors, right? So go ahead and use whoever you're going to have as that physical address. And you can also use the registered agent and we can talk about that a little bit later, but definitely put a resident address and also put a mailing address. And then go ahead and you can add, there may be such subordinate or branch offices in such places or places within or without the said state as may be deemed necessary or requisite by the board of directors to carry out the purposes of the corporation. Why would I add that very long sentence? <laughs> right? I would add that because, I, you know, you might branch out. For example, we go back to this organization, Talaza or organization here on the island of Guam, but you can see they're an island school and they talked about the Micronesian area. So that's a whole different islands. There's different islands um, within this area. So they might all of a sudden open an island school on Saipan, a different island out in Micronesia. Um, so they want to make sure they have flexibility, that they can do business in other places, right? That they can do their corporation, their activities in other places. So I would definitely put that in as a disclaimer. Even if you don't see that at this point in time, you may grow. Moving on to Article 5, Annearment Clause 5.01. No part of the net earnings of the corporation shall anear to the benefit of or be distributable to all to its members, trustees, officers, or other private persons, except that the corporation shall be authorized and empowered to pay reasonable compensation for services rendered and to make payments and distributions in the furtherance of the purposes set forth in the statement of the purpose, remember the purpose, back in Article 2 hereof. Okay. So that sounds really like legal talk and it is legal speak. But basically, what does this mean? Well, it means that you're not going to give all these kickbacks <laughs> to your board of directors and have a crooked nonprofit. OK, that's basically what it means. Um, so when they're talking about we're not going to the net earnings, right, the money that comes in the door, um, we're not going to like just give it and distribute it to our board of directors. Um, 
but you know they are going to be and then they say the corporation shall be authorized and empowered to pay reasonable compensation for services rendered so maybe somebody is providing a certain service so you can pay them it's saying but they're saying you have to pay them reasonably right so what does reasonable mean well reasonable usually means like what is the going rate at that point in time so if you know you're offering a service maybe somebody's going to do social media right where you like a member is like hey i can do the social media but that's also my company we do social media so i can charge you 300 dollars a month and if you said okay well the going rate for other you know i would get my three quotes right my three quotes from other places in um that do social media and then say okay the going rate is about 300 i think it's actually a lot higher than that but <laughs> you can you can see my point right you want to be able to pay reasonable and so you're just saying you're making a statement in there saying we're not going to get kick kickbacks and if we do have to pay for services that we're going to make sure that they're reasonable and that they are fit in and align with our purpose all right so that breaks down anearment that weird word into uh, tangible speak. All right, Article 6, Limitation on Corporate Activities. 6.01, notwithstanding any other provision of these articles, the corporation shall not carry on or any other activities not permitted to be carried on by a corporation exempt from federal income tax under Section 501c3 of the Internal Revenue Code or 2, so that was 1, by a corporation contributions to which are deductible under section 17062 of said code or the corresponding provisions of any future statute of the United States. And if you're scratching your head right now going, what is she talking about? You can use that verbatim. All right. So you can use that little point verbatim, but basically you're saying that you're not going to carry out activities not permitted by a corporation exempt from federal tax. Right. So there's certain things that you can carry out and you can do, um, but you, there are certain things and you'll know this in the 1023 that you're not able to do as a 51C3. So it's very you're just saying you're going to follow the rules, especially with corporates um, any kind of corporate activities um, by corporate contributions to which are deductible. So you're basically saying you're going to give deductions as well, only on things that actually align with a 501C3 code, right? So if you are a 5013C3 and you're selling tickets to your fundraiser, people can write off certain amounts of that money, right? So you make sure that you only give tax deductions to corporations for certain things that are actually tax deductible. You can't just give them kickbacks if they're giving you regular services and you can say, okay, that's tax free because we're a nonprofit. No, you're actually paying for a service, right? So that wouldn't be tax deductible. It's only if they're giving it to you for free, right? So there are certain things that you can give for tax deductions and there are certain things that you're just gonna pay for services that you're not necessarily going to give a tax deduction. So you're just saying that you're going to follow those rules under those sections of law and code. So you need to make sure, um, you know, that's something that your accountant and your lawyer can look at. Okay, Article 7, Limitation of Political Activities. No substantial part of the activities of this corporation shall consist of the carrying on of propaganda 
or otherwise attempting to influence legislation, nor, or nor shall this corporation participate in or intervene in, including the publishing or distribution of statements, any political campaign on behalf of any candidate for public office. All right, so 501c3s, you guys, you are not in the lobbying section at all. All right, you're not giving kickbacks to political candidates. You're, you know, all of that sort of stuff. Like, they can buy tickets to your events, but you know what I mean? Like, you're not supporting them. You're not out there lobbying. You're not out there trying to, like, create testimonials or, uh, you know, things like that, right? Now, if you are a 501c4, C6, that gives you a totally different advantage. You can be a lot more political, and that's why you say, well, what about, like, chambers and rotary clubs and things that, you know, like these membership nonprofits that actually do support political candidates. Well, that is a different type of 501c. So you're a 501c3, you will not be doing that. And let me tell you, this isn't just like, oh, whatever, we don't really need to follow that. You do. Even when you're applying for federal grants, you're a lot of times you're going to have to fill out um, like a lobbying form that says you will not lobby. So this is very, very important. Okay, so moving on to Article 8, Liability and Indemnity. Okay, so 8.01, non-liability of members or individuals. Okay, the private property of the members, individuals of this corporation shall not be liable for its corporate debts. This is important. This is one of the reasons that you're actually, you know, forming a 501c3 while you're forming a separate entity than just yourself. You do not want to be liable personally for the nonprofit, okay? This corporation that you're setting up is a is an, is an entity. It's its own being, if you will. So you do not have the, you know, necessarily will be sued. It would be uh, the nonprofit that would be sued for any kind of Thing, right okay you can still get in trouble for things don't get me wrong but there's a lot of uh liability on the the corporation itself okay 8.02 nine liability and indemnification of directors and officers no director or officer of the corporation shall be personally liable for the debts or obligations of the name of the corporation of any nature whatsoever, nor shall any other property or assets of the directors or officer be subject to the payment of debts or obligations of this corporation. Can you see how important this speak is? It's very important, you guys, because you want to make sure that if you're a part of the directors, that if something happens to the nonprofit, all of a sudden they're paying for, for something, a building or something that they're in. You don't want them to come directly after your personal house, right? <laughs> like after your own assets um, to pay off the debt of the nonprofit. So this gets you out of that. It's beautiful, right? So you want to make sure that this is set up so um, those kind of debts or obligations aren't to you personally. They are to the nonprofit. All right, Article 9, Registered Agent. Now, I said I was going to get to the registered agent. So 9.01, the registered agent of the corporation shall be, put the name and the physical address, and this can be your lawyer's office. A lot of people use their lawyers, uh, a founding board member, etc. So you just want to have somebody who's like responsible for getting mail and all of that kind of stuff and actually registering uh, the nonprofit, the corporation. So just put their name, but they do need to have a physical address. Um, and if you have an address for your, if you already have a building or a space for your nonprofit, you can definitely use this if it's a physical address. It's fine. All right. Article 10, directors. 10.01. The board of directors shall consist of such numbers of person, persons 
not less than three and not more than nine, as shall be determined in accordance with the bylaws from time to time. Provided, however, that any time during the existence of the corporation, the number of directors may be increased to any number not exceeding 15 or diminished to any number not less than three by the formal assent of the majority of the members at a regular or special meeting of the membership. The directors and alternative directors or substitute directors of any shall be elected or appointed in the manner provided by the bylaws and all vacancies in the office of director shall be filled in the manner provided for in the bylaws. All right, so you can use the speak directly, but you may have a different setup as how many directors you're gonna have on your board. This is an example. Um, usually they say not less than three. Some states say not less than four. So you do wanna check your state. Um, I say not less than three definitely because, well, yeah, you can't go less than three. But think about it. Your primary board um, officers are going to be the president, the vice president or the president or the chair, right? They're inter interchangeable terms. Vice president, and then you're gonna have a secretary. You can do secretary slash treasurer sometimes. So that would be three people. Um, and then, but you always kind of want to keep it odd. I always say keep an odd number because if you have to come up, you know, if you have a vote on something, then it'll never be an equal vote though. You know, it'll always be somebody will trump something, right? So anyways, you want to have an odd number or in the case that you do have an even number, you want to make sure that maybe the executive director could be the, the, the vote on a tie, something like that. But I would just go for it. An odd number is a little bit easier to handle. All right, and then you're gonna say, just reflect back to the bylaws. The bylaws can be um, amended a little bit easier. Uh, so you can reflect back to, you know, as determined in accordance with the bylaws. And we will be going over the bylaws next week. Woo -hoo. All right, so, and you can see how our article is different than bylaws. Um, but we're almost at the end of this episode. So just hang in there a little bit more. <laughs> we're almost there. All right, so anyway, so you wanna just make sure that you put how many members um, and that they will be voted for. All right. So, and then underneath that, I have a little chart on the handout. So it would just say the name of each person and their resident address. And you wanna make sure that you hand this in. And then just to the finalize that up, you could just say all the powers and authority of the corporation shall be vested in and may be exercised by the board of directors, except as otherwise provided by law, these articles of incorporation or the bylaws of this corporation. Okay, little wrap it up. All right, so moving on, corporate officers. So article 11. 11.01, .01. the officers of the corporation shall be, and this is up to you once again, but I'm using this example. They have a chairman, a vice chairman, a secretary, treasurer. The chairman shall be a member of the board of directors and all board members must be residents of Micronesia, right? Because now I'm going back to my example. So because they're representing the area, they wanna make sure that the, the board members are residents of this area. The corporation may have such additional officers as may be determined in accordance with the bylaws from time to time. The officer shall have the powers, perform the duties, and be appointed as may be determined in accordance with the bylaws. Any person may hold two or more officers of the corporation if so provided by the bylaws. Oh, sorry, not officers. Any person may hold two or more offices of the corporation if so provided by the bylaws. What does that mean? That means one person can be the secretary and the treasurer, right? Um, so that way they can fill in two offices. All right, guys. So um, yeah, so that's basically it. You're just kind of outlining who is going to be on your board of directors, what the corporate officers are going to be. Um, and you don't have to really break down their role so much, but you can just put a little information in. 
All right, so Article 12, Membership Requirements, 12.01. The method and conditions on which members shall be accepted, discharged, or expelled shall be determined and fixed by the bylaws. All right, very bit vague here. This nonprofit, they don't necessarily have membership meetings or anything like that, but they do have officer meetings and they have board meetings. So they're basically just saying, okay, we're going to reflect back to the bylaws when we kind of figure out how we're going to move forward, but we're going to go ahead and we're going to do what it says there. <laughs> so that's very easy just to keep it general. All right, Article 13, Amendments. 13.01, these articles may be amended in the manner provided by statute at the time of amendment. So there's different statutes that you need to follow according to your state, and they're just saying that they're going to follow those. Super easy. Okay, Article 14, dissolution. What does dissolution mean? It means on in the event or in the case um, that you need to dissolve the nonprofit. All right, so 14.01, upon termination or dissolution of the name of the corporation and assets remaining after payment of or permit provision for payment of all debts and liabilities of this corporation shall be distributed to a nonprofit fund foundation or corporation which is organized and operated exclusively for purposes and which has established a tax exempt status under the 501c3 of the internal revenue code what does this mean? It's saying basically if we terminate the nonprofit or if we once we if we dissolve it, right? Any assets that we still have, any debts, any liabilities, we're going to distribute it to another nonprofit fund, to a nonprofit fund or to a foundation or a corporation which is also organized as a 51c3. So basically they said, "Oh, we still have $30,000 in the till. It could go to another nonprofit or more likely you're not going to have money sitting around or you may, but you're going to have things sitting around if you dissolve." And I've seen this if a nonprofit dissolves, maybe out there were a child care center, right? And all of a sudden they still have all of this equipment, they still have all of these things. They're probably just going to donate it to another 501c3 child care center that sort of thing. So they're saying um, in the case of this is how it's going to go down. 14.02. If this corporation holds any assets on trust, such assets shall be disposed of in such manner as may be directed by decree of the superior court of state. So this is basically saying if we have fancier stuff, <laughs> just like childcare stuff sitting around, right? If we have any trust, if we have anything like a little bit higher, um, you know, then they have to go through the superior court of the state to figure out where it's going to go. But you just want to put that in there so you make sure. And that goes back to not getting kickbacks to the board of directors. It's not all the board of directors get a piece of the real estate. You know, none of that. Like this is a nonprofit. So um, and that just helps. So it deters people from setting up. Not, they didn't have this in there. You know, people might just set up a nonprofit, buy some property, um, give some kickbacks, and then dissolve it straight away and then separate and keep the property. You know, stuff like that. Like that's when you have crooked nonprofits, right? So this basically holds that in check so it doesn't happen. Okay, and then of course, Article 15, and this is our final one, and this is the incorporators. So this is where you're going to list, you can say the names and residents of the persons forming the corporation as follows. Um, and this is certificate of adoption of articles of incorporation. The incorporators of this corporation are, and then list the names and the address of individuals incorporating the entity. These are your founding board members, right? 
The undersigned incorporators hereby declare under penalty of perjury that the statements made in the foregoing articles of incorporation are true. And then you have the date there that they're going to have to date, signature, and the address. And this has to be, once they sign all of this, you have to actually have it notarized. So you're not going to sign it before you take it to the notary. You're going to have to take your articles of incorporation to a notary office and then have everyone there that's going to be signing it, have their IDs, right? And then sign it in front and have it notarized. And then you're definitely want to keep <laughs> copies of this. All right. So that is it in a nutshell. Um, that is what to include as a basics for a framework for your federal articles of incorporation. And as I said, if you would like, because I know this was a lot of information and you're like, eh, and some of them are like, just copy it verbatim. Um, if you want to have the downloadable template, then visit um, that link again is www.grantwritingandfunding.com forward slash 068-articles-of-incorporation. All right, guys, um, next week we're going to talk about the bylaws, and I'll try to make it jazzy and fun, but these are just a lot of, like, general templates and information that you need. Although I do get a little bit more nerdy and fun on the bylaws because I like bylaws a lot more than articles. But anyways, um, we will be talking about that. And just to wrap it up, I know we are in our last week right now of April, if you're listening right now, right? You could be listening five months from now and it's not April anymore. So it's kind of hard for me to give you guys information um, on a timely basis. But um, we are having our uh, final week for our beta membership price. And that is our online membership where you can get all kinds of courses. Is how to start a 501c3 entire course with all the samples and downloadables will be a course included in the membership. Um, as for as well as we have other courses, a private Facebook group and all that fun stuff. So, um, but we have the beta group open right now. We already have members and I'm so excited for you members. Like we're having so much fun already. I did um, right now, if you join before the end of the month, I'm also doing a half hour one-on-one uh, Zoom calls with you guys just to like talk to you and see what you're doing and just to get more information from you as well as any questions that you have for me. Um, you can get live interaction, which is a lot of fun. And I'm just having so much fun hearing about all the different things that you guys are doing um, and just meeting you guys. So it's a lot of fun. But anyways, that is um, the $27 per month. You can get locked in right now if you get it before April. 30. The price will be going up. Um, but yeah, you'll be a part of the beta group right now, which is a lot of fun. Anyways, if you'd like to do that, you can just check out grantwritingandfunding.com. You can click on membership and see what all the goods are in there. But um, otherwise, if you want the downloadable just for this episode, please do visit us um, and you, you, you will get that for free. All right, guys, thanks again so much for listening. I know this is kind of a long one. So I hope you're having a wonderful week. I hope everyone had a great Easter and you guys are just having a wonderful spring. All right, guys, I will talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Do you want to join the Changemaker Tribe and get courses, downloadable checklists, samples of awarded grants, behind-the-scenes live Q&A with myself and the Tribe, and discounts on grant services? Be sure to join the Changemaker membership at www.grantwritingandfunding.com forward slash membership. Thank you for listening to this Grant Writing and Funding podcast. I hope you've enjoyed your time. For more questions, email Holly at holly at grantwritingandfunding.com or visit www.grantwritingandfunding.com.